The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your, your incredible kindness to us by giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, expanding uh, the offer of salvation to all people. Thank you that we who stand among those uh, of Abraham's promise, who, the families of the earth who needed uh, your salvation, we ask God that you would um, make that ever ever more clearly known to us by your own grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Elaine, would you go to my office and get the, the power cord for my computer? Um, and you might, I think it'll be fine. You can just bring it like just, just right up from my desk because I don't want it to go off here. Um, if I lose you, hey Paul, if I lose you, um, I'm going to have to reboot, but I, I ha- Elaine's going to get the power cord. I, I forgot to re- forgot to, um, to charge my computer. All right. You have heard me say, uh, if you've been part of this class, you've heard me say a uh, hundred times that Matthew is making the case that Jesus is the Messiah, and that case is going to culminate next week with Peter's confession in chapter 16, that Jesus is the Christ. And we have been seeing, uh, up till now, we've been seeing uh, miracles and divine authority. We've heard uh, powerful uh, and creative teaching, in, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount and in uh, the parables of chapter 13. Um, some others, of course, as well. But only marginally, only marginally have we seen that um, that. The, this Messiah is, in fact, the Messiah for all people. Only marginally have we seen that this is the global Messiah, not just the, the Messiah for the Jews. That the Jewish Messiah is, in fact, the prom, opening the promise of Abraham that uh, through his line all nations of the earth would be blessed. And, um, and so we, we saw this in chapter 8 a little bit with the Roman centurion. They were in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, of course, is right on the uh, edge, the eastern edge of the, uh, no, western edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it is in a Jewish uh, territory. So the Roman centurion was was there in his um, uh, in the Jewish area, and it, and he was brought in. Remember, he said, "I'm the one who uh, I understand authority, so don't come under my house. Just say the word." You remember remember that story. And um, and and but now what we have in this uh, in in this pericope, this, this uh, section of, of the Scripture, is that, um, is that the, we see the borders of the ministry of the Messiah expanding, uh, geographically expanding, but also ethnically and spiritually. All right, so if we just pull that right over here and then plug it in, we should be, we should be good. good to go. It'll pull over, should. should. Yeah, great. So ethnically and spiritually and geographically expanding the borders of the ministry of the Messiah. We come to the story of the Canaanite woman in Mark. She's called the Syrophoenician woman. And then we have the feeding of the 4,000. Now both of these passages are um, befuddling for different reasons. The... the um, they're both difficult to understand. The Canaanite woman story is just offensive. Uh, he, Jesus seems to call this woman a dog. Well, not seems to. He calls her a, a dog, essentially. 
Matthew's a little even more offensive than Mark. Um, and the feeding of the 4,000 seems a little bit redundant. Not, I mean, in fact, some, many scholars have said it's just the, a retelling of the same story. Matthew got his facts wrong. He wasn't sure which one was right, so he just threw them both in. Um, we talked about feeding the 5,000, I think, just last week, right? So, um, so it, or no, two weeks ago, two weeks ago. The, um, so what, when you hear this story before, well, let's read it first and then, and then see what you think about it. All right, somebody read it for us. I will. Okay, thanks, Connie. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district, district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right, so what what do you make of this? You love this story? Linda does. I got about six no's and one yes. I, I, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. What, 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 how does it, let me hear from my nose. What, what's, what's the problem? Well, I'm not used to Jesus speaking so as an ugly person. <laughs> not used to Jesus speaking as an ugly person, okay. It's a negative. Yeah, it has a negative feeling, yeah. That's right. Was he maybe testing her, her faith? <laughs> was he maybe testing her faith? Yeah, I mean, we're trying to find a way to make Jesus not be ugly, right? right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, go ahead, Katie. I think he was testing the disciples. Katie says... Okay, I've got it turned down low. Say it again. I said, I think he was testing the disciples. Their reply about her was worse to me than Jesus. So Katie says she's, uh, he thinks, uh, or she thinks that he's testing the disciples. But their reply is actually worse than his. Many have dismissed Jesus' attitude here as chauvinistic, uh, racist, uh, certainly rude, which is how it strikes uh, a lot has struck a lot of you. Maybe you wouldn't go so far as to say it's chauvinistic or racist, but it's um, but it does seem rude. Um, however, we do not interpret one passage in isolation from all the rest. And what I mean by that is that when we, uh, if every other passage, just about, we see Jesus uh, caring for those who are sick. Uh, blessing, being a voice of truth and reason, and uh, even a uh, an advocate for those who are oppressed. 
then we should understand that this is the same Jesus, and, and we should assume that the misunderstanding is on our part, uh, not, not on His. And something else is going on, and that the inability to see it clearly rests with us and not with Jesus. All right? So that we want to... We should assume if he's not racist or sexist anywhere else, that he's not going to be. He's not racist or sexist here. But I have heard uh, at least a couple of sermons that said this woman is. This is where Jesus learned to not be a racist. That she taught him that. And I um, took exception uh, to that. To that. But we still have to figure it out. Because it is a difficult passage. In fact, Mark calls her a Syrophoenician because she lived in the region of Phoenicia, near Syria. But Matthew calls her a Canaanite, which would not have been a current uh, word. That would not have been a current designation. He lived in the land of Canaan. But it was just to highlight the contrast of her ethnicity and her lineage, uh, even more, to is even more sort of even more bitter way of saying that she was naturally an enemy of God. And um, and I don't think he's being ugly. I think he's highlighting the grace of Jesus to reach, reach across the gap. I don't think that Jesus is being ugly, and in fact, I don't think that he's playing devil's advocate or testing the woman. I think he actually puts an incredible amount of trust in the woman by saying what he says. But I do agree with Katie that he's testing the disciples. And in fact, what I think is happening is that he is voicing the disciples' attitude so that they can see it for themselves and to see how foolish it is given the rest of His ministry. Jesus answers her. She comes up to Him. So she's caught, she, the way that Matthew displays it, shows it to us, she's standing up far off. She's crying out to Him. Uh, and she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. So she, I mean, there's a sense in which she knows who he is. She, at the very least, she has heard his reputation. But to call him, O Lord, Son of David, I mean, she, there's, there's some faith involved. There's at least, she's done her research. And she's a mama, right? I mean, you, listen, you know that you're going to go uh, to the ends of the earth for your kids. You know, if, if, if you've exhausted... If you're a mama and your child's dying and you've exhausted everything in your faith realm, uh, you, might, you might be willing to go outside of your faith realm because your kid is on the line here. Um, and, you know, because that's, that depth of love makes us do crazy things. Now, maybe she was faithful before this. But at the very least, she calls him Lord, Son of David. And yet he doesn't... Um, he doesn't answer. She actually diagnoses it. My, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, was she just, uh, did she just have some ailment or is she uh, mentally ill or was she oppressed by a demon? I, I'm going to take it at its word. Um, but at the same time, this is her diagnosis. Um, but he didn't answer. 
He maintained the boundary between uh, Jews and Gentiles. Now, they are in, he's in the district of Tyre and Sidon, not in the city itself, so he's just like on a retreat. Um, he, and and it, he would have, they would have risked being unclean if they actually went into the city. But she finds him, and she continues to call out, and Jesus isn't answering her. He just kind of seems to be ignoring her, and the disciples beg him to send her away. That's a pretty strong word. Begged him. Saying, send her away. Interesting that they wouldn't send her away, but again, he, I guess they're not going to talk to her either. He, they're, they're looking to him for his leadership. She's crying out after us, and he answered, he answered and it's unclear, was he, was he answering them or was he answering her? But it only adds to the tension. I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that seems preposterous to us. Which is why I think that he's answering, he's voicing the disciples' biases um, to them. But she came, now, now he says that, he puts her off, but she has such faith that she comes, she, and I don't know if you've ever been in this position, and I'm sure many of you have, where you're begging the Lord for something, and he's not answering you the way you want, and so you've got to lean in closer. And so she comes and, and she kneels at his feet now. And she says, Lord, help me. I mean, she's desperate because she's a mama. And her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In our culture, that is going to be incredibly offensive. Particularly, I mean, I think increasingly so. And it's very difficult to imagine that in their culture it was anything other than offensive. That it was anything other than it would be for us. In fact, probably more so, for at least for us, we got dogs that are cute and we love. They, they were feral scavengers. You know, they, were, they didn't have, have house pets. Have you ever seen The Chosen? One of them has a dog and everybody else is totally repulsed by that. And it's, a really, it's a really funny little, this little side, uh, side story with that. If you haven't seen The Chosen, I recommend it highly. Um, and so he answers her in a way that we find offensive, and yet I would say is not an accusation. It's a, it's a parable. It's a metaphor. There is this division between us, faithful woman. And in this division, which I'm voicing for these people who hold this division, it's not right. For the children's, to take the children's bread, which is the, the gift of the Messiah, and give it to the feral scavengers. And I just, I, like, I just hope that Peter and James and John would have heard of that and gone, inflinched. Hang on, that sounds terrible. And she responds from within the parable. She does not get offended and indignant. She does not say, who are you to call me a dog? Nor does she act in humiliation and say, you're right. I'm just a dog. I don't deserve this. 
She answers with humility and with faith. Some would say a feisty faith. Determined, motherly faith. And she says, listen, I'm just, I'll just take what I can get. Mustard seed faith. is Whatever you give me is more than enough. I just want my daughter well. Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Every week in Rite 1, we pray the prayer of humble access. And I've had many people actually request that I insert it into Rite 2, which I meant to in Lent and just didn't get to it. And um, I hear applause over there. I'm, if, I don't know if that was applause coming from, from there, but I, um, I, will, uh, I, will, I will just take it that way. Um, Thomas Cramer used this story when he said, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under the table, but thou art the same Lord who's always, whose property is always to have mercy. See, we're the dogs. We're the ones rightly on the outside. And yet this woman, apart from the disciples who have spent the last couple of years with Jesus, the woman is the one who gets it. And with deference and humility and undeterred faith, she sticks with Jesus. And he turns the tables not on her, but on the disciples. In the same way that he granted uh, not just the, the desire of the centurion, but applauded his faith in a way that was basically unmatched. This woman is the same. And interestingly, in both cases, they are interceding for someone else, not for themselves. The, the person that Jesus is healing is, is distant. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I think Jesus is expanding the boundaries of his Messiahship, not only practically, but also uh, pedagogically, meaning he's teaching the disciples that he's not just for the Jews, that he's for everybody. Because now he's doing this not just for those who have come into Jewish territory, but he's gone out. So he's, he's actually foreshadowing Paul and, and the disciples and their, their ministry as he's gone out to the region and begun to bless them as well. What are your, what are your thoughts? You think I'm, think I'm off base there? What do you think? John, what do you think? I'm reading this. I just wonder if the word I was should be was I. Said only to, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you take it in that context, then what he says about the dogs, he would be voicing what's in the heart of the disciples. So it's a, you're saying maybe it's a question. Was I sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Question mark? Because there's no punctuation in the Greek. And then, and then if you look at it, that would make it, his statement, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That would be what the disciples would be thinking. Yeah, that or if it's maybe it's is it not right? That's interesting. I have never heard that before, and I, w I would love to go back and look at the original language. That's that's really remarkable. I would say, I would tend to say that the scholars who translated this and, and the other versions would would have also asked that question and and have chosen right. But 
But I, I wonder. I'd like to go back and look at some other translations to see if they've made that same um, that and same. That, if, you, if you change those two words around, it, it changes everything. It changes everything. Yeah. Comment, then sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's just. But anyway, well, uh, either way, I, I think that Jesus is not the bad guy here. Uh, yeah, but I think you're. I, that's a really remarkable point, John. I want to go back and, and research that. That's really neat, Linda. I love the fact that it's a woman. Yeah. And she knew who he was, and she knew enough about Jewish culture. And a Gentile woman had no business even approaching a rabbi, right. much less bantering with him. <laughs> she got a no answer, but she won't take that. Like you said, it's a, it's a mom. And we know how he's going to elevate women in that society. And at the same time, we know where he's going with the Great Commission at the end. Yes. You know, for, you know throughout Judea, Samaria, and, and, the, and the world. He's preparing the disciples for that. And I think from the moment she approached him, just like feeding the 5,000, he knew exactly what he was going yes. to do. And he let it play out. So, Linda, for, I don't know if you could hear, Linda said that... Um, that it was, it was, um, uh, it was. He knew exactly what he was doing, and it was uh, a woman. And she loves the fact that it's a woman, and he's just he's elevating women. And what was your other point? That um, I just want to make sure they they oh, heard great it. Commission. Great commission, yeah, great yeah, setting him up for the great commission. So he he's ex- intentionally expanding. I think Matthew is showing us that uh, with the disciples. Yeah. Oh, I understand, but if he just kept the sentence the way it is, he could be testing her. How yes. How sincere Right, and he would certainly, as the Messiah, he'd be certainly in balance to test her faith. Um, yes, and that would make that would make sense. How how sincere is she? Except that what the only thing that bothers me about that is that we don't because we don't earn our salvation. You know, it's not the strength of our faith; uh, it's the strength the, the the one we're putting our faith in. And so I think that he was. And that's why I think he's challenging the disciples and not just her. But I'm sure she was tested too. I mean, she could have just been tucked her tail and just, well, that's probably a bad use of that. But um, it, uh, she could have just, sorry, she could have just said, um, um, yeah, whoops. Um, she could have just uh, turned around and, and said, you know, I, I tried, you know, but she doesn't. So. She could have been very intimidated. Yes. But I imagine the disciples were much more intimidated at the end of, end of this thing. Well, let's move to the next little paragraph. Uh, last week we had a similar paragraph uh, where Jesus healed the sick in Gennesaret. This, he, uh, he just heals many. It says Jesus went on from there, walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So Tyre and Sidon is up by the Mediterranean, north uh, of, of where they were, and he would have come down uh, and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're not told exactly where. And I would have just assumed... This was on the western side, on the, on the Jewish side. He went up on the mountain and sat down there. I kind of, in my mind, I'm picturing the Mount of Beatitudes, same place. And great crowds came to him, just like they did then, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They put him at his feet. It's actually, uh, the word is they threw them. Uh, they threw uh, them at his feet, which um, probably has to do with the urgency they felt, not their actual actions, which is why it says they placed them or they put them at his feet. And he healed them so that the crowd wondered and when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy, I mean, they just never, the lame walking, they've never seen anything like this, the blind seeing. And it recalls, doesn't it, the, uh, the passage in Isaiah that says the, the, the lame will, um, will leap like a deer, the 
the blind will see, the mute will speak, that it's uh, shout for joy. And so there's, um, I wish I had, had penned that, but there's this, um, there's this wonder and remarkable nature, not just with his ability, but what's interesting, and I had never noticed before I studied for this, this, this class, and they glorified the God of Israel. Which means these were Gentiles. That's, that's what's good. He's, he's, so he's on the, he's on, he down from the north, he's, he's crossed the, the Jordan, and he's on the, he's on the eastern side, most likely, um, of the Sea of Galilee. Because it wouldn't say that if they were Jews. They glorified God, but it, they glorified the God of Israel. And now what we have in the feeding of the 4,000, is a replication of this miraculous feeding, but for the Gentiles. Because Jesus is now on that side of the lake. It's for everybody. And that just blew me. In fact, I got chills right now just thinking about it. Because the feeding of the 4,000 suddenly makes sense as a, as a separate but same um, miracle when, um, when you realize that this is for a totally different crowd. He's expanding this. And in fact, what is he doing? He's giving the children's bread to the dogs. It's amazing. And Matthew puts it right in there. If you miss that, that they glorify the God of Israel, then I've always, I've always missed it. I've never seen that. Jesus called, and what's amazing, so now he's given this, he's given this miraculous meal, and the disciples who just saw the feeding of the 5,000, seemed to just, like, I don't know how we're going to feed these people. Like, I mean, just, it's amazing. The G- Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd. This is the crowd that he'd been healing because they had been with me three days. They, they knew enough to bring food with them. And then now they got, they've just eaten it all. They have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He's a pastor, too. The disciples said to him, where, where are we going to get bread? Now, I've, I've always kind of wondered if they got to get excited. Like, ooh, where are we going to get bread? He's, you know, like, like, let's do it again. You know, I kind of, I would love that. I mean, that would be cool, but it kind of just, it kind of seems like um, the disciples are asking, and Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And they say seven and a few small fish, and it might just be scraps of dried fish. I mean, you don't know. And, and it's the same thing. He, he, uh, he directs the crowd to sit on the ground. Very, very, very similar language. He, he took, the seven, took the bread and the fish. He gave thanks. He broke them, gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them. It's exactly the same words. Because the, exactly the same blessing is available to the Gentiles. And I just... When I, when I realized that, I, it was, I, was, it was, I just thought that was amazing. And um, they all ate, and they were, they were stuffed. They were stuffed. Yeah? I'm excited that the crowd didn't get hungry and go home. I mean, they, they followed him around. Obviously, if they had eaten their food, I don't know if they trusted he would do this particular thing, but he was compelling enough. Yes. To, that they wanted to be there anyway. Yes, Alicia, thank you so much for saying that. And, I, and in fact, I had had it in my head. I didn't write it down, but I had my head to say the same thing. That, that and, and granted, they probably weren't used to eating, you know, three square meals a day like, like we are. But, 
uh, they can deal with hunger a little better than we can. But, but yes, they, they, they would rather, they'd rather go hungry and be with Jesus than to go eat and be without. And yet Jesus still is concerned for them. But so compelling, I love this perfect word, so compelling is the presence of Jesus. Interesting, C.S. Lewis in, um, which book is it? Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And they finally find the, um, the far country. They, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, they're, they're going to find the, basically the end of the earth. They're going to find Aslan's country, heaven. And they have to take this little raft boat, and they're, and they're going along. And they realize that they hadn't eaten for a couple of weeks because the light has been nourishing them. Like just being, being with, being that close to heaven, they don't even need food anymore. They just... They just are nourished, and it kind of it reminds me of, of that. But yes, um, if I I have a hard time listening to my own sermons if I'm hungry. I mean, like I just um, uh, uh, <laughs> I can't listen to somebody else teach. You know, good gracious. Um, the um, uh, and, and just ask Elaine. You know, I can't I can't sit still um, for more than about forty five minutes. Uh, need calories. Um, the and so um, they ate and they were satisfied. And I just think there's such spiritual meaning, richness in that. They ate of Jesus, his miracle food, and they were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets. So before they took up 12, signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. Seven is a number of perfection. Uh, we have that number uh, very prominent in the book of Revelation. Seven churches uh, and seven stars and all, and all of this. Um, I think this is uh, for the nations. And um, I think that's what it is. And um, seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who were eight were 4,000. They send away to the crowds, and he got in the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And nobody knows where that is. It's probably Magdala, which is, which is all straight across the river on the, on the west side. For you, it would be on this side. The west side of the Sea of Galilee, um, the, of the lake. It's really just a big lake. Um, but no, it's probably Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. But no, nobody knows. That's the only time anybody's ever talked about Magdalene. Anyway, I just think it's a remarkable, just that realization that Jesus tells the woman, it's not right to give the bread, the children's bread to the dogs, and here we have the Gentiles receiving the bread from the Messiah. It's, it's a wonderful uh, thing. And just... just Make, to me, makes it that what we're going to talk about next week. If you're here, I know it's uh, July 3rd, but um, just that much richer to talk about um, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's just buzz through this, um, this little paragraph right here because it's so interesting. These Gentiles have come to Him in faith. And then we get back across the lake to the ones who ought to have recognized him, and they don't. Pharisees and the Sadducees came. Now these are the, this, these are the Democrats, or well, I guess in order, the, these are Republicans and the Democrats. These are the conservatives and the liberals. The conservatives who uh, must have the law of God um, uh, followed. It is not to be reinterpreted. It is to be taken on its own terms as it was written. 
And we have the Sadducees, who are basically humanists, who are willing to say, yes, the law of God is very important, but we live in modern times, and we need to interpret it for our own time. They were, they were not um, uh, much into the supernatural at all. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they didn't, uh, they, there would be a resurrection. They didn't believe really in, in heaven. They just believed in, in God, who wanted them to be uh, good citizens. This is essentially what, I'm sure there's more to it. This is an oversimplification, of course. But they're coming together to test him. Because they're both Jews. And they came and asked him to show him a sign from heaven. It's really interesting. He just, on the other side of the lake, he's been healing people left and right. He's been, he fed them the miracle. There's evidence of his miraculous power all over the place. And they come and demand a sign. Like, do some magic for us. Prove, prove it. Prove yourself. And he answers, when it's evening... You say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning it'll be stormy today uh, for the sky is red and threatening. Right? Red sky in the morning. No, red, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors be warm. Right? You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. As if that's easier, Jesus. I mean, like, it's really hard what you're asking to do. But it does, it, you know, they kind of, they profess to be experts and, and they, don't, they don't know. He says, an evil and adulterous generation. Isn't that interesting? Evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Not just bad, not just the opposite of good, but unfaithful. Cheating generation. You would look, what, is the, what would be the God that they're after to, to ask for a sign? Why? I mean, that's, you, they think they're trying to be faithful. To the God of Israel. He calls them adulterous. Why? John? They're putting themselves on a pedestal. They're putting themselves on a pedestal. What do you mean by that? Well, when we start putting ourselves first, that's, that's, we're first before God. Yes, yeah, so we're, they're demanding what... Um, they're demanding that God listen to them rather than uh, they're listening to God. Okay? I can certainly go there. What else? I think that um, it, it really just is the, the sort of the certainty, our need for certainty. And so, I mean, I, so it's sort of parallel to what you're, you're saying, that, that it's, it's this... Um, I'm trusting only what I can see. I'm trusting in, in my ability to control the situation. I don't know what that's like, but... Um, <laughs> yep. Adulterous. Spiritually adulterous. <clears throat> Lord have mercy. Have a, a tangible thing in which to, if control was what they wanted, yes. I think it was. Then I say, I have this sign which gives me ability to control. Yes. Alicia said, if, if uh, do you think if they got a sign, they could, that, that was control, that they could control it? I don't know if they could control the sign itself, mm-hmm. but, but, but certainly they wielded the power to get Jesus to do it. And so he's answering there, yeah. What but, is the sign of Jonah? 
that he says, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Well, uh, and then he left, and, and then he left, and, that, and that's, he just drops the mic and then heads out. Um, he, uh, so the sign of Jonah, you know the, the story of the prophet Jonah, he's eaten by, gets swallowed by the big fish, right? And he goes, sinks down into the depths, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he's vomited back out on the sea. For Jesus, I mean, you know, for the for the glory of God. So, um, it is um, it, that's the sign that, in order to proclaim to the nations that he is um, uh, that the kingdom of God, that he will be killed and taken to the depths for three days, and he will rise again. That's essentially the sign of Jonah. Now, nobody would have known that then. That nobody was. Had read, I mean, they'd all read Jonah, but nobody was looking at Jonah going, that's about the Messiah. Nobody, nobody, but Jesus says, this, it will be like this. We get a little bit clearer, I think it's Luke. I should have looked at uh, I think it's Luke. We get a little bit clearer, elongated version of, of what that is, another extra sentence about it. He left and departed. And now, next, as we, as we move towards Peter's confession, which we'll talk about next week, um, He's going to address the uh, distinction between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and him, himself. So, um, and then we'll go up to um, uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is, uh, if I get it together, I'll show you pictures of it. It is a remarkable place. All right, friends, enjoy, give thanks. That Jesus has given the children's bread to the dogs. And that we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under His table. But He is the Lord, he is the Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Amen? Amen. Alright. Okay, so yes, that's a good question. What's on the t- so next week is, uh, the, is the, Matthew. The week after that, we actually have a police officer going to be with us, Officer Whitrock. And she is going to be with us to talk about... Uh, Things going on in Mandarin, and her, we have sort of we're going to begin sort of a partner, sort of a community partnership, um, and uh, and so she'll be with us, and I'll interview her, and um, we'll be here, yeah, on the tenth, and then I'll be on vacation after that. God bless.